all these things that happened to me in my life, my childhood, Afghanistan, like losing buddies, all this stuff, as bad as those things were, those things did not lead me to be in a closet with my pistol in my hand. What led me there were the choices that I made in response to those things. I didn't have to let my past define my future. I could choose a different future moving forward. I had a biblical blueprint of how to respond. And so I started being very intentional about saying, okay, now how am I gonna to respond to this differently moving forward? What's the Bible say about it? Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. At this time of year, as we celebrate the brave men and women who fought for the freedom of our country, it's a good time to reflect on what it actually means to be brave. Sometimes, as in the case of our military heroes, bravery means laying down your life for a greater good or for your fellow man. Sometimes bravery can mean stepping into something new, apart from everything you've known before, to pursue something greater for your life. And sometimes bravery is the simple act of pushing through something hard or something painful in order to climb out of the darkness to step back into the light. Our guests this week have each shown acts of bravery in their lives, one in service to our country as a Marine and in his own personal battle with PTSD, and another who faced addiction and fights each day not to be pulled back into its grip. We're talking with Chad Robichaux, a former Force Recon Marine who served in Afghanistan, and Tim Atwood, a touring musician who has shared the stage with some of country's biggest legends. First up, let's hear Chad's story. My name is Chad Robichaux. I've uh, been married to Kathy for 25 years now and I have three children, Hunter, Haley, and Hayden. Uh, my, my sons, both my sons, followed myself and my father's footsteps being third generation Marines. So my father served as a Marine in, in Vietnam. Uh, I served as, as a Force Recon Marine at an aid deployment to Afghanistan. When my father, uh, you know, serving as a Marine in Vietnam, you know, came home and struggled with a lot of the, the same things many of our military warriors face today. He was very physically abusive, lots of alcohol. And when he would drink, particularly, he would get very physically abusive. You know, he just, you know, really hot temper. And, and so, you know, my, my childhood was just, that was kind of a normal life of dealing with a very angry dad walking around in eggshells, staying out of the house as much as possible. And I had a brother who was a year older than me, and the two of us really bonded through that. I think we were 13 to 14 years old. We decided to join the military ourselves to kind of escape that lifestyle. Like it was a way out. We've seen it as a way out for us. There was just something about my dad as, as, as broken of a person as my dad was, he would always light up and in, in this, this like joy would come over him, anything that had to do with the Marines. Like the fact that he was a United States Marine was the one thing they had in his life. And so that gave me a real appeal towards the Marines. So me and my brother found that we started researching that. We were, again, we were very young. And we started preparing ourselves. We started running together. We were swimming. We were training for about a year doing that. We had already did martial arts together. We started physically working out together. And about a year into that tragedy in our family, my, my brother was, he was shot and he was killed. And so it was devastating for me. He, when he died, I went into a very deep isolation. And so something led me to, to go to that Marine Corps recruiter's office. I remember meeting a man named Staff Sergeant Brown. I still remember his name. Telling him, just really pleading my case. I want to go in the Marines. This is my, my childhood dream. This is me and my brother's plan. And he helped me get in the Marine Corps without even a high school diploma. So, you know, I'll be forever grateful for the Marine Corps for, you know, giving me that second chance at clean slate of life and to get escape, escape that childhood that I was in and have a chance to, you know, build a life. There's lots of great jobs in the military, but for me, I don't think there's a better fit than working in special operations as a recon marine. I love the mission, I love the job, all the skill sets that I learned early on. You know, the physical challenges, it's not just physically challenging, it's academically challenging, all the 
challenges to become a recon marine just really helped develop me as a very young man. And so I, I love that career. And what I really learned in, in my life and my story is it comes down to one thing. It comes down to a choice. We have to choose if we're gonna stay in the X's in our life and die, either literally or metaphorically, or we're gonna get off that X and move forward. But I believe the most effective choices are the ones that we make in advance. And then we stick to when times get tough. Like we don't decide in those moments, we react. You know, we find ourselves in situations, you know, be it you know, depression, anxiety, loss of a job, like all these different things that we face in life, we find ourselves in a situation. And then in that moment, that moment of chaos, we try to decide what to do. And I believe uh, the right thing to do, just like we do in training for the military, is we think of every possible scenario that could happen on the battlefield. We train for that scenario, and that way when it presents itself, it doesn't surprise us. And think of life, if we can look at life and look at the hardships of this world, and look at you know other broken people, because we're all broken people in this world. If we look at other broken people, and we can learn lessons from the things we may face and think, you know, what would I do? in that situation and we prepare ourselves. And you know, in, the, in the Bible, what I've discovered is the Bible has a very clear blueprint how to navigate each and every situation. A few years later, I found myself diagnosed with PTSD, dealing with anxiety, depression, hopelessness. The difference this time is that I didn't, I didn't follow those two simple rules. And I emphasize, I chose to stay there for a period of almost three years and, and it almost cost me everything. For me, it started just as a, I think it began as like uncontrolled anger and frustration that really manifested in a way that I, I took it out of my family because I was like really intense, you know, in, in Afghanistan and all the people I worked with were very intense. To be honest with you, I, you know, I was really out of control. I, I would come home and throw temper tantrums and punch holes in the wall and slam doors and break things and scream at my wife and children. And, and then when they would call me on it, I'd feel like I'd justify it, but like, I have to be this way right now. This is how... I have this important job to do and it requires me to be this way and I can't change. I can't be like who you guys want me to be. And so I felt like I couldn't come home and like flip that switch and be like a husband and father. And, but it started having moments where I was just crossing the line. My arms would go numb. My face would go numb. I felt like my throat was swelling shut and I couldn't breathe. You know, like this overwhelming anxiety where physiologically felt like my body was shutting down. I'd feel like I had a thousand pound weight on my chest. I didn't ask for help or say anything because a couple of reasons. One, I thought, from a peer-to-peer -peer level, if I told my buddies what I was dealing with, they would think I was weak. And two, I had a top secret SCI clearance. And I knew if I went to mental health, like to see a, a counselor or something, that would jeopardize my clearance and be able to do my job. So I just figured this is gonna pass, I could push it down, I'll get past this, I'm, you know, I'm tougher than this, and I could deal with it later. And, and those symptoms only got worse. Like I started having, it started getting worse and worse. And then there was one moment towards the latter part of my time that we had several team members that were compromised, captured, killed. And uh, if I was hanging on by a thread during that time, I think that thread was broken and really began to go off the rails. My last operation that I went on during that last deployment was two weeks long. And I realized I made some errors and mistakes in like the way I was operating. And I realized I put some other people in danger and I just, I was okay putting myself in danger at that point, but I was worried that I put some other people in danger as well. And, and that was enough to say, hey, I'm not well. I need to I need to let somebody know. And I was brought home and I was put before a clinical psychologist and then my wife was there with me and they you know, rolled up the results and said, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, severe chronic PTSD was what they, what they said. And uh, I was devastated. I mean, you just feel like you can't bear it anymore. Like that was a level of panic. I was in all the time. The medicine made me feel like a zombie, so I didn't want to take the medicine. It just felt unescapable. 
And then I felt like I failed. So I was extremely ashamed, you know, like amongst my peers, for myself, for my family, I felt like I let everybody down. But uh, it, it was a catastrophic rock bottom you know, point in my life. You know, after the diagnosis of PTSD, that led me on about three year downward spiral. During that time, I really dove into more martial arts as a professional fighter and a one world championship, ranked number six in the world as a flyweight. And so on the surface, everything looked really good, but I was spiraling personally. I mean, I, I was still dealing with panic attacks. I was still dealing with anger, a lot of anger issues. And my wife and my marriage was falling apart. And, and meanwhile, I'm like, I had this big fight on Showtime on Strike Force, and I'm, I'm fighting at, you know, at the Toyota Center in front of 10,000 people. And I'm, I spent that three months like preparing for that fight. And that whole three months really just neglecting my family, the separation, kind of moving in my own direction. And then they announced my name and I, and I win the fight and the referee holds my hand up and I'm like, this like all this weight comes off and I'm so excited. And there's like 10,000 people cheering in the, in the Toyota center. And, and then it was like, the weirdest thing was like time like kind of stopped and they got in my mind, they got quiet. And I remember thinking like my wife of all those 10,000 people cheering in there, not one of them was Kathy, my wife, like, and she had been to all my fights before. And it was just like this weird feeling of knowing that she wasn't there. And I started to think of all these things. It was like, finally, like, there was nothing ahead of me. There was nothing in front of me. The fight was over. And there was nothing, when I say nothing in front of me, like, you know, there's nothing left. I don't have family and all the wife, kids to go home to. And so I'm like laying there thinking, and I'm thinking of all the people that I blame for everything. And it came to this conclusion that the common denominator was me. I was the, I was the problem. And, you know, I decided I was going to take my life. And I, I had a, in my closet in my apartment, I would put my family pictures on the floor around me at a Glock. 22 pistol, which is a 40 caliber pistol. But I believe this is a God intervention thing that every time I put that gun into my head and try to build the courage to pull that, push that, pull that trigger, every time I touched my head, I would have this vision that would come over me of like how it was gonna play out. And it was one morning, my wife came to my apartment, she knocked on the door. When she knocked on the door and I'm in the, I'm in the closet with my pistol, I went to the door and I was really irritated with her. And we, we started yelling and arguing and in the middle of that argument, she asked me a question that, that radically changed my life and saved my life. She asked me how I could do everything I did in the Marine Corps. We met when we were 17 and 18. So she saw me become a recon Marine, training, schools, like how much discipline it took, like studying and all this stuff. She's like, how could you do all of that? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit. And she was absolutely right. And so I made a very radical decision at that moment that I was gonna fix things and put things back together with the same work ethic and stuff that she was talking about. It had nothing to do with faith at that moment. But one thing I knew is I couldn't do it alone and I couldn't do it with the people that I'd surrounded myself by. And so I needed, I needed some accountability. I had pushed all accountability out of my life. Honestly, at that point in my life, I had tried everything. I had been on medication. I'd been through counseling and programs. I even had like professional success in my life and financial success and all these things in my life. Some of those things good, some of those things bad, but none of them changed my situation. And I'm kind of like all in or all out person. And so I said, if I'm going to try it, I'm going to try it all in. So I, I surrendered my life to Christ. I began to find restoration in my marriage and my relationship and my own brokenness and the PTSD. And so I was able to get hold of my life again. So I found restoration. I found hope again for the first time in a very long time. I believe God put a burden on my heart to share that process, the very simple process the Bible gives us with others, because I knew that wasn't the only one struggling. And so that began to manifest in the founding of Mighty Oaks Foundation, which was simply a, a pay it forward effort to other veterans like me who were dealing with the same things. 
I'm actually able to not only just step up the next in my life, but step into the very life that I believe I was created to live. And that's to share with others, uh, you know, the, the way forward. I've spoken to 150,000 active duty troops on resiliency. So really trying to bring down the stigma, letting people know that it's important to ask for help. If you do it early enough, you know, if I would have did it earlier, maybe we could have made some adjustments. We serve uh, military warriors dealing with things like veteran suicide, which has a suicide rate of still over 20 a day, post-traumatic stress, divorce, many issues that our military warriors face. We, we serve them through a series of programs on resiliency, recovery, and, and marriage restoration programs as well. And so if we could give the, the resiliency principles, you know, let, let people know that these, these pillars of resiliency, they have mind, body, spirit, social, being mentally tough, physically tough, spiritual, have a strong spiritual foundation, having the right social network of people around you. If you have all these pillars established in your life, you, you have those pre-decisions, like I mentioned earlier, to make the right choices when those situations happen. If you kind of look at all those things in advance, you prepare yourself, you can be more resilient, be more combat ready, be more useful to the military, and be more resilient about to bounce back for yourself and your family, you know. So, uh, so a lot of the preemptiveness has really helped with the stigma because it's, it's making guys more comfortable to okay, let me make those adjustments on the front end, and and, uh, and realizing that my job in ministry is separate from my personal, you know, devotional time with God. And so I believe like you know, devotionals like Jesus Calling, which is obviously a great one, and and, and uh, you know, having something every day to be regimented to have that time to unplug from this crazy world <laughs> and and spend that you know that special time with god to understand who understand more who he is we'll never understand in this lifetime of who god is but the more we know who he is i think the closer we can understand of, uh, who he created us to be and, and find our purpose we, we don't really have to seek our purposes to find out what his purpose is and i think when we find that we find our role in his purpose that's when we find our, our contentment our joy and then we're able to tap into you know the very thing we we're created for to learn more about Chad and the Mighty Oaks Foundation, please visit MightyOaksProgram.org. If you or someone you love is having thoughts about suicide, please call the National Suicide Helpline at 1-800-273-8255. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. The Jesus Calling team is grateful to the men and women who put themselves on the front lines every day, keeping our country safe and standing strong to protect our freedoms. To honor that courage and resilience during a particularly difficult season, a special devotional book has been created using passages from the beloved best-selling devotionals, Jesus Calling and Jesus Always. This one-of-a-kind edition, made especially for armed forces, includes scripture, personal reflections, inspirational quotes, the U.S. Army's mission statement, U.S. Navy facts, and U.S. Coast Guard facts. 
Celebrate and encourage the heroes in your life with the Jesus Calling Armed Forces Edition, now available exclusively at christianbook.com. Our next guest is musician Tim Atwood, who toured with country legends like Mel Street, Lynn Anderson, and Jim Ed Brown before finding a place with the Grand Ole Opry's staff band. Tim shares a little about his career and how he's remained grounded in faith all these years, as well as a particularly moving experience he had at one of his concerts that reminded him of the importance of honoring our fallen heroes. Well, my name is Tim Atwood, and I played piano in the Grand Ole Opry for 38 years. I moved to Nashville in 1976, and two weeks after I was here, I was working with a country artist named Mel Street. And then I worked for Jim Ed Brown and Helen Cornelius from 76 to 79. And then I worked for Lynn Anderson a short while, but then I started playing piano with the Grand Ole Opry and the staff band. Now I'm making a leap to center stage. I actually grew up in uh, Peoria, Illinois. Both of my folks are from the South. My mom was from Tennessee and my dad was from Mississippi. And my grandfather in Mississippi was a Baptist minister and the whole family plays music by ear. Nobody reads music in my family. I had an uncle that sang with the Florida Boys Quartet, Tommy Atwood. And that's when I first realized you can make a living playing music. And I went, that's what I want to do. And my granny Atwood was a godly woman. And when I spent summers with her, we'd go to the old time all day singings and dinner on the ground. And that's where I learned to sing harmonies and, and things like that was from her. And I just feel so blessed to have had that background, and I think that's what helped me achieve what I've achieved. When I was about 13 years old, I was playing with a gospel group in Peoria. I gave my life to the Lord early in my life. And then once I turned 18, I decided that I wanted to just, you know, make a living playing music. And so I started working the nightclubs and all the temptations there. and. So I got away from the path, you know, and I, I got drawn in. It was one of those things, well, I'll have an occasional drink. Well, okay, I, I don't drink during the day. But then all of a sudden I started drinking during the day. and It became one of those things. The drink was having me. I wasn't having the drink. I could not survive without it. And then, of course, the other things followed. Just I got addicted to so many things, drugs and alcohol and women and just I was just a lost soul. One day it was like God flipped this switch in my life, said, okay, you've had your fun. It's time to come back. But it was, it was tough. I mean, it's a struggle every day. Uh, it really is. And, and all I did was I just turned it over to God and it made a huge difference. And I, so many great things have happened since I've turned my life around. When I moved to Nashville in 1976, my goal was to become a country star. I was kind of a big deal in my home area, and I thought, well, I'll just go to Nashville and sit everybody on their ear, you know. But once I got here, I realized in Peoria, I was a big fish in a little pond, and in Nashville, you're a little fish in a big pond, you know. I saw how many talented people were here, and so I just continued to play. And then one day I just decided, you know, I've played behind everybody I can think of and just enjoyed it. But I think that uh, I would be better served at the front of the stage. And by watching all these entertainers over the years, 
I kind of learned exactly how to do it. I think the, a lot of the, my favorite moments were with uh, Roy Acuff and Minnie Pearl. They were great people on top of being great entertainers. Working with them was a big thrill. I worked with Taylor Swift one night and Carrie Underwood and Vince Gill. And now I'm really just enjoying the opportunity to get out front and entertain because I, I feel like I'm more of an entertainer than anything. And it gives me a platform to talk and most of the shows I do. I've mentioned to everybody that I'm a Christian and that God gave me the gift and I'm giving the gift back to God. It doesn't matter if I'm working the nightclub or a show. I always do a gospel song and a short testimony. So it's it's a it's a great spot to be in. I get up every morning and I do about an hour and a half of devotions and I read and constantly pray throughout the day. I mean, it's not just get up in the morning and pray and be done with it. I pray throughout the whole day. I'll just take time and get alone because I think just being still and listening for the voice to know what you're doing, to believe in yourself, I think that's a big one too. You have to believe that you've got what it takes, but you also have to listen to the voice. This is from Jesus Calling. February 26th. I am leading you step by step through your life. Hold my hand in trusting dependence, letting me guide you through this day. Your future looks uncertain and feels flimsy, even precarious. That is how it should be. Secret things belong to the Lord, and future secret are secret things. When you try to figure out the future, you are grasping at things that are mine. This, like all forms of worry, is an act of rebellion, doubting my promises to care for you. Whenever you find yourself worrying about the future, repent and turn to me. I will show you the next step forward, and the one after that, and the one after that. Relax and enjoy the journey in my presence trusting me to open up the way before you as you go. Faith is a great thing, man. The belief in things unseen. I think that's a huge part of what makes me who I am. It's not easy, but at the same time, it can be done if you just put your faith and trust and believe that you can do it. You can make it through. I used to be music director on the Inspirational Country Music Awards. And a gentleman by the name of Chuck Day wrote this song. He wrote it about 14 years ago, and he recorded it, and we played it on one of the uh, awards show. And when I heard the song, it just got to me. I mean, I was in tears as I was playing it, and it touched me so much. I told my wife, Roxanne, that I have to record this song. I said, there's just something telling me to record this song. It's very patriotic, just like the, the chorus uh, right off the top says, I believe in the Bible and what it says is true. And uh, that, re that line just went, okay, that's the truth. I was playing it one night, and uh, there was a young lady that came up, and she had been in the Gulf War. And a friend of hers, Captain William Grimm, he died in the Gulf War. And they have these memorial bracelets. And she had worn this bracelet for 26 years. 
and uh, she came to me and she said, I want you to have this. She said, I haven't taken it off in 26 years. And she said, as long as you talk about Captain Grimm and the sacrifice he made for the country, that his memory will never die. So she gave it to me and I haven't taken it off. And I look at that every day and, and thank God that there's servicemen and women out there fighting for our freedom. The song, it means so much. I mean, people, even during the song, when they hear the first verse and the chorus, they automatically stand up. It's just not prompted. They just stand up because it's about faith, God, country, and family. And it's been well-received everywhere. But it'll have to start with me. I'll tell them that I don't agree. Yeah, I'm gonna let them know Cause I'll stand up and say so I'll tell them I believe in the Bible And what it says is true And I'm thankful for the ones who died For the old red, white, and blue uh, Like I said, I, I'm trying to be a blessing and lead people on the right path to God and all the blessings he bestows on us each and every day. Just the being able to get up in the morning and be able to walk and see the beauty that he's made. If you just stop for a minute and think about that, your health, you should be thankful for that every day because there's a lot of people that can't get up and, and go see the world. And there's a lot of people that they just don't have the thankfulness sometimes that they should have. We're all blessed each and every day, and I am truly blessed. I pray for him to give me guidance and show me the way that I should go and the things that I should do and say to be a blessing to other folks. To learn more about Tim Atwood and his newest album, Who I Am, please visit timatwood.com. If you'd like to hear more stories about how God can give us courage to face hard things, check out our interview with Sarah Evans. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with former ABC News host Paula Ferris, who shares about a difficult season in her life and what she realized about her faith when things didn't go exactly the way she expected. There are times I felt like I remember when we, after we had moved to New York shortly after, I was like, God, I think I'm going to lose my religion if you don't show up soon. It was just one thing after another. And I think knowing in hindsight that God is using those moments to really refine us and to, to test us, to test our trust in Him. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.